everyone and welcome to and the winner was my name is joel winstead and this is my journey i am watching every best picture winner starting in 1927 with wings and each episode i'll be covering a different film with a different guest with me today is film critic uh, edwin arnaden of Asheville movies edwin thank you for being here thanks for having me joel uh, so this being your fourth, your first time, I always ask uh, first-time guests what their relationship with uh, Best Picture winners is. Uh, pretty good. I mean, it's you know, it's it's easy to get into the whole awards stuff when you're becoming a, a movie lover because it's just kind of right there, and it seems like the most accessible way. So, um, yeah, and I, I guess my first Oscars was the Titanic year. Um, so okay. like 20, 25 years ago. So yeah, uh, been kind of a junkie since then. And then, um, yeah, tried to do well and go back and see a lot of the stuff, but there's, you know, some of these early ones that, that y'all are getting to first are definitely blind spots, but, uh, I have seen wings. I did see it on the big screen, which was oh pretty, nice, pretty phenomenal. And, uh, um, sure. But yeah, there's a lot of other things that are still blind spots. But I don't know, maybe maybe I'm sitting at like 70-some percent. I don't know. Okay, that's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm nowhere near that number. I will be soon, hopefully. Um, have you seen any from this era, from the 1930s? Let's see. Um, just a few. Um, definitely the one we're talking about today. Also, Grand Hotel... Mm -hmm. um, all quiet on the Western front, um, and gone with the wind, um, and Rebecca, and then it's starts to get a little bit more filled in, but yeah, I guess from, from kind of the mid thirties through the early forties, that's about where I am. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. Um, while you're ahead of me, I, I'm, <laughs> I kind of came to movies, um, later, uh, not not movies itself, but like movie fanaticism <laughs> later. Sure. And so I, I my first Oscars, oh man, I don't even know what my first Oscars was. <laughs> it was definitely later in life. And then from then on out, I would always keep track of it, but I never really went back and watched. I have a lot of blind spots in the early years, but uh, especially Academy of Blind Spots. So that's why I'm doing this. And I'm really glad that I did because it's I'm having a lot of fun with it, even if it's just uh, me listening back to my own episodes when I'm done with them. <laughs> um, I'm having fun. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about Frank Capra's It Happened One Night, written by Robert Raskin, directed by Frank Capra, starring Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert. It was nominated for five Oscars, uh, and it, the film won all five, completing the first ever Oscars Grand Slam winning all five major categories. Uh, you like trivia, Edwin. Can you name the other two movies that, the only other two movies that won the Grand Slam? Uh, Silence of the Lambs. That's one of them. And... Uh, Streetcar Named Desire? Nope. Uh, it didn't happen until so 1934 and then all the way 1975 with One Flew Over to the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh. Another great. But the one. only three to have swept the uh, the five major categories. Um, so obviously Hollywood was kind of in love with this movie, uh, but not rich people. <laughs> this film it did pretty bad. So when it first opened, <clears throat> the way that the films opened back then was they would release in these big picture houses, like in the big city, um, 
and have their run there. And then the, and it would slowly trickle out into these smaller, more rural areas, more across the, the country. It didn't do great. Uh, and I could probably see why. But also, this was also the height of the Great Depression. Sure. But then once it started moving out, it really got this word of mouth and it picked up and it kind of took off and, and was this huge hit. And it really made a name for Capra and uh, Clark Gable started his ferocious run of the 30s. With that in mind, when you were watching it, know, knowing when the, the timing of it and all of that, Capra is a very well-known uh, Republican and uh, a pretty staunch one. And it's kind of like an anti-wealth, anti-establishment uh, picture. Uh, what, what were your thoughts as you were watching it under that lens? Uh, from a political side or kind of a class side? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're seeing these two people from very different worlds kind of thrown together. And um, I think definitely Clark Gable's reporter is a little, you know, kind of kind of a Capra stand-in maybe. I don't know. He's just able to kind of poke fun at, at the ridiculous right. r rich things that uh, Colbert's character plays. And mm -hmm. um, I thought, I thought that, was, that was all pretty sharp. And um, yeah, but then also, you know, as the movie goes on, it sort of breaks down those barriers a little bit too. And it's like, you know, well, why, why do we have these limitations? Like why, why do the rich only marry the rich and, you know, the working mm -hmm. class stick to the working class. It's like, there's these common bonds that we have, or, uh, you know, there, there's more to life than just, um, money necessarily. And, you know, here's what it is. And so you get the kind of happy Capra, uh, fairy tale story. Um, yeah. but I think you, Cap you, Capricorn. Capricorn, but you go through <laughs> plenty of, um, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is pre code, you know, so yeah. you're, 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 you're getting a lot of wild stuff here that you, you wouldn't get for another, um, little while. So it's kind of like, let's, let's squeeze as much, um, kind of yeah. envelope pushing stuff that we can get in there. Uh, well, push the envelope. this is like, this came out in, uh, April of 34 and the Hayes code really came into effect and started being massively pushed in July of 34. So they got it right under the wire. That works. There, there, there's, there's a lot of sexual tension in this movie. Oh my for, gosh. For a romantic comedy where they don't even kiss each other. Uh, it's yeah, it's quite suggestive, but more than, more than a couple of occasions. He must've, he must've told her to take off all her clothes a dozen times, but like in a joking way. He's like, you want to take off all your clothes? And she's like, what? He's like, never mind, don't do it. <laughs> he does that so many times. It's going to be my go-to with my wife. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Yeah. It's going to work about as well as it did for him. Right. <laughs> I think I think most of all, because I've seen a couple of Clark Gable pictures mm -hmm. now, um, and I've always been kind of impressed with him, even, but even this is like being his like kind of coming coming of Hollywood age. Um, I was really impressed with his acting. A lot of times in these earlier movies, and I'll say this a hundred times during the 1930s, but the acting is so very like stagey and wooden and right. um, either yeah. wooden or it's like super over the top because they're coming from like top, uh, silent films or they're coming from the stage. And he really kind of in, in, inhibits this character and, and, mm -hmm. and plays multiple facets of it. Uh, in multiple facets of it in the same scene. 
I'm thinking specifically of when he's threatening um, Mr. Shapley from the bus and Shapley finds out that he's kind of escorting this girl. And so Shapley wants in on the action and he kind of takes him out and, and away from the bus and starts like really threatening him, like in this gangster kind of way. And it was, it was very convincing and he was kind of like scary. And uh, I, he's definitely been that way if, in next year's Meet Me on the Bounty. He has a couple of things like that, but, but in here, he's kind of like this kind of down as luck news reporter <clears throat> and like that different side came out and it was, it was just fun. It was fun to see him kind of go back and forth. And then when he's with uh, the love interest with Claudette, he goes from, you know, being like this grumpy old man mm-hmm. and try to re- repressing his feelings towards her to kind of like being in love and having those feelings of being in love and puppy love. And so he, kind of goes back and forth with those. And I don't know, it was just, it was really fun to watch him act and, and do a, such a good job. Yeah, there's there's a lot asked of him in this role. I think both, both of the leads, really. I mean, they're very multifaceted performances and there's a big journey that both of them go on just as characters in, in addition to the literal journey that they're on. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of this prototype in a lot of ways of these sort of, nuance rom-coms that we would eventually get you know it seems like there's um i don't know i i i guess i think of kind of like the 80s and the nora efron era is kind of this um you know peak of the rom-com and we've been kind of playing around with those standards for a while but it's it's really interesting to think about these tropes and standards that were kind of being set up Way you know, almost a hundred years ago, and how oh, yeah. that influenced. Because I'm I'm thinking about, you know, you, you don't think really about you know the 40s, 50s, or 60s being like great rom com eras. You know, there was right. there, there's some good stuff. Like there's the Breakfast at Tiffany's, and there's whatnot I mean, in Roman there. But, holiday, yeah, yeah, but they're I don't know they're they're kind of tinged by a different kind of tone and kind of a different worldview and kind of this post World War II kind of cynicism or the baby boom. So I mean, I think there's a lot of world yeah. events. But, you know, here's a film that's made during the Depression, set during the Depression. You get to see some kind of interesting of, you know, of the people, Sullivan's Travels type of um, yeah. things that, re- that really give it a salt of life uh, or salt of the earth type of feel. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to think about the context of it and then how, like you said, the pre like the just barely pre-code, so it could be a little edgy and then kind of what happened to the genre going forward because i don't know i mean are there are there other kind of go-to rom-coms that you can think of other than those kind of audrey hepburn um <laughs> examples and until we get no. to that kind of efron heyday right no i mean not not that's like coming to mind i'm sure that there are a few this certainly feels like the blueprint for things that we Absolutely. would get much later like in these modern times like i kept thinking of like planes trains and automobiles mm-hmm. um is doing this because of the That's whole like a, yeah. the odd couple and then like just the modes of travel and the, the road trip feeling of it all but i you know i think you're right i think that the ones that did come later in the 40s and 50s of the ones that i've seen have a different feel to it you know this this very much is through capra's lens of uh, i have so this is a bit of like inside baseball but Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Edwin don't really see eye to eye on being Capra. I'm coming around. This is definitely my favorite of the ones that I've seen. I just think he's very, um, I think I use the word saccharine a lot when I talk about Frank Capra. Sure. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it kind of seemed like everything was cute and tied in a bow. But this one, he kind of got down and dirty. And mm-hmm. he had this wealthy lady 
you know, taking these different like modes of transportation that would be reserved for not wealthy people. And there's even a point in the bus where the lady faints because she spent all her money to get on the bus and she didn't have any food. Like that's pretty dark for like a 1930s <laughs> comedy. And you know, the little kids crying and it's, and she's kind of seeing what it's like in the real world, but it's also like, this is what it was like in 1930s United States. Like people didn't have meals and um, it was very, I can see why I had this kind of grassroots kind of following and kind of blew up kind of around the country because of how seen maybe they felt or, or, mm -hmm. you know, even in, in later years when Capra would do um, the other, Oh boy, the other best picture winner that I just got done covering. Um, oh boy. The, I'll find it. But um, in, in that, even there's um, plenty of Frank Capra being, hard on the establishment and mm -hmm. specifically on wealth and uh you know i it's pretty gutsy especially for someone who's trying to make it in hollywood and you know louis b mayor like ran the world um uh you can't take it with you the other right, film was right. you can't take it with you right. um i just watched it and recorded an episode on that um uh not a huge fan of that one <laughs> that's probably why i couldn't recall it as quick but but even then there was still a lot of um I don't know. It kind of almost feels like finger pointing to a certain degree. Yeah. It's kind of odd to kind of bite the hand that feeds you, you know, but we do have this kind of tradition of Hollywood skewering to, um, you know, uh -huh. even, you know, the, the song, you know, hooray for Hollywood is, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes thought of as like this rah, rah thing, but then you look at the lyrics and it's like really dark and that sure. was what like from the thirties or something. So yeah, yeah. there's definitely, um, and then, I don't know. I've, I forget. Have you, have you seen Babylon yet? The no, the Chazelle. Yeah, no, the Chazelle I one. Um, no. I mean, that's in that era too. That that's right at the cusp of. That's like right before this, and kind of into this era of mm -hmm. moving from, from the silence to, to talkies. Yeah. yeah, and um, and it goes. Yeah, it's 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 pretty hard on the industry. It's like this sort of, um, not tongue in cheek love letter, but it's just kind of like this acidic love letter almost it's sort of like look at the look at the grand right. things but look at all the lives that are ruined and right that we don't even think about today so mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's i mean it's crazy to you know because i feel like that coming out today is you know expected almost you know for sure um, yeah. but coming out in 1934 uh i don't <laughs> know it's just it's kind of it was cool to see there's also a couple of things that maybe wouldn't fly that <laughs> wouldn't fly this day you know spanking a woman on the on the bottom Telling them to shut up multiple times probably not, probably not the greatest. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's so. So in this movie, Clark Gable was an MGM man. He was in their stable, and uh, this is a Columbia, a Columbia picture. And Clark Gable uh, was always negotiating money rates over at MGM, and and, and Louis B. Mayer, King Louis B. Mayer, not pleased with with my guy. But Capra and Raskin were really trying to get this movie made, but nobody wanted to do it. Nobody. And so they were going to like not do it. And I actually heard, I don't even know how the audio is a thing, but I heard an interview with Capra and he was saying that Louis B. Mayer came to him and was like, you're going to make the movie. And Capra's like, I can't, no one wants to do it. And he's like, no, no, I got the guy. He's like, I'm going to send you this kid over. He, he keeps haggling with money. So I'm going to punish him and send him over to you. So they got Clark Gable uh, on a dime 
And so then once they picked him up, things started moving. And then Claudette Colbert was really like the last option. She hated Capra because they had done a silent film before and it was like widely panned and was like almost cratered both of their careers. Uh, and so she said she'd never work with him again. And they tried to get like Myrna Loy and all the stars of the day, which just wasn't happening. And so uh, Claudette Colbert, as like a whim joke, was like, well, I'll only do it for four times my rate and I'll give you four weeks because I'm going on vacation. And they were like, okay, great, done. <laughs> and so she didn't expect to get it and didn't want to do it. Uh, and the fact that she got four times her rate was way more than what Clark Gable was getting. So Clark Gable was pretty upset and there was a lot of like animosity between them on set, which is kind of funny because they have such great chemistry right in right. the movie and like very convincing like falling in love like because she falls for him kind of before he does mm -hmm. and then he kind of has this realization but i don't know it was uh, interesting behind the scenes look at um <laughs> how much they just didn't like each other <laughs> yeah do you have, do you have much experience with um colbert have you seen many of her films i have not this might be my first this might be my first one mm -hmm. um uh, i I highly, highly recommend the original Imitation of Life, which came out the same year. Uh -huh. um, Douglas, Douglas Sirk would remake it around 1950, and that's color, and this is black and white. But um, I've not seen the Sirk one, but I would have a hard time believing that it's better than Imitation of Life, which I think is one of the all-time greats. So, uh, But yeah, other than that, I'm looking over her filmography right now, and... Uh, I've seen Palm Beach Story because that's a Preston Sturgis. Uh -huh. um, like some of these names, like I've heard of The Egg and I. I think some people like that. I remember seeing that like a VHS box at the library growing up. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's she's obviously an Oscar winning actress from this era, you know, big star at the time, you know. And But yeah, I mean, you think about all these films and not a lot of them have really stood the test of time it seems but um this one imitation of life and yeah just a few others and she i mean she really pops she's she's got a great screen presence she she looks like a like a 1930s beauty of the day um she I mean she had like a, a long a, a, you know a good career sure uh but she never you know she's not like a mere alloy or like a you know a, of the time like you know i had never heard of her before this movie um not that i've seen a bunch of movies from the 30s and 40s but i'm starting to get there that's right. This project. Eventually. Eventually, <laughs> yes. Well, um, so I guess well, I, I guess I was curious about any interactions you had with this film, even on like clip shows. I mean, have you were were you aware of the hitchhiking scene or or any other scenes from this film? No. So I there's a lot of the, a lot of this movie was like it was a huge hit like culturally like mm -hmm. before memes were a thing this there was this movie uh there was a lot of a lot of things I, I had not heard of the whole walls of jericho bit or the the leg and the hitchhiking like that was never something that i i was aware of as a matter of fact i found out from just watching this movie and then like reading about it like bugs bunny is like ripped directly from clark gable and his eating the carrots like specifically from this yep. film like the looney tunes yep. Um, the people they saw and they're like, that's our Bugs Bunny. And then like in the movie, when he's threatening uh, Shapely, he talks about this guy named Bugs. And so like literally that's that's where Bugs Bunny came from is this. And then they kind of like, you know, Bogart and all these other people are kind of like a mishmash of Bugs Bunny. But this is like the inception of Bugs Bunny. 
Um, and the only other thing that I saw, like, I don't know if it's true or not, but it seems, it seems like it, I'll just, we'll say it's true. But in this scene where um, Clark Gable starts to undress, he's like telling her how to undress. Uh, he takes off his shirt and he's not wearing an undershirt. He's just wearing, he's just not wearing anything. He's just showing his, his, uh, his greased up bod that it caused, apparently it caused like t-shirt undershirt sales to like plummet. Because that was like a no one, no one went commando under their shirts. They always wore an undershirt, and then men started wearing no shirt underneath their shirts to, uh, to be just like Clark Gable. And apparently, apparently, uh, <laughs> big big undershirts tried to sue Columbia. Um, this is all hearsay, but I really hope that is true. Yeah, the whole um, that was that was my um, nugget was was the. Bugs Bunny thing because I was watching it and I hadn't I I watched this as a high schooler on PBS with my parents and it was just like oh, wow. one of those transformative movies and we were just all uh -huh. having a great time all enjoying it and um, and I'd not seen it since then but it's a lot of those scenes are just lodged in my memory and just sort of seeing it come up and like like I say on the clip shows and mm -hmm. you know you, you you hear about like like oh well like why is it such a big deal that she's showing her leg and it's like well they didn't you know women didn't do that at the time you know that yeah. was like uh like watch like seeing nudity you know on, right. on screen was you yeah. know and, and and that's why uh Clark Gable is like so you know like bug-eyed <laughs> right. and he's like standing <laughs> up and and then you know the and the car screeches to a halt but yeah but then yeah when I was watching it this time the Bugs Bunny thing did occur to me because I'm like What's this, like this guy's just like going to town on this raw carrot, and then I'm kind of watching him, and I'm like, he kind of sounds like him, he looks like him, and then so yeah. I just hit pause and did a Google search, and yeah, yeah just like you said, it's um, um, it's just right there, and I'm just like, holy moly, like, and yeah, I guess it was just his whole attitude in this character that was yeah, um, yeah, and, and inspired Warner's to <laughs> yeah, the the cockiness, the the throwing around nicknames and all that, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I think I think my my letterbox review for this is all I said was just here's looking at you brat because uh, it's such a great such a great blueprint for for what is to come but like not only is that like the characters themselves which it's different from the from the era like it it really sets itself apart because there are other movies from this era where people are falling in love mm -hmm. but it's really like it's like long conversations in different rooms of, mm -hmm. of a house or a building. And in this one, these characters are so individual and they have their own paths and stories. And it's not, mm -hmm. they show you, they don't tell you, you know what I mean? So you're seeing this rich girl jump off a boat and like take her journey. And you're seeing this down in his luck newspaper reporter, you know, try to act tough and, you know, his boss hangs up on the phone with him. So and he keeps talking on the phone to make it seem like he's big business. And you see their personalities and like, that's, that's something that's so lacking in these movies from the, from the early days, because it's literally just people talking in a room. And then you yep. hear that they jumped off a boat or you hear that their boss hung up on the phone. You don't really get to see it. So the showing and not telling of this, I really appreciate. And I really like a lot. Um, and I wish Capper would do more of that because you can't take it with you. It's very show and not tell, uh, very tell and not show. But um, that is something that we'll, we'll see again and again and again and again in all the romantic comedies that you see is like mm -hmm. these individual people with their individual lives kind of crossing paths and then adjusting to each other. And that's, you know, that's a story as old as time, but it's also apparently a story as old as 1934. <laughs> well, that's what, 
that's what I can't believe is that you, you think about all these romantic comedy writers since then. And I mean, and you know, maybe, maybe this is part of why we don't see a lot of great ones in the forties, fifties, you know, and and sixties and whatnot. It's like, how must it, how must it feel to, you know, be pursuing this genre and be like, well, it was already perfected in 1934. Yeah. Right. They shot itself out of a cannon. Like no one's there. Like, yeah, they already did that with in 1934. We don't need to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, For I mean, sure. you think about like what I mean. There were some. I mean, there's obviously great films from this era, and there's some you know, like good gangster films. But you don't think about, I don't know, Little Caesar, or Public Enemy, as like better than The Godfather. I don't think I thought right. there was like time for that to evolve. But um, and yeah. I, I don't. I mean, I I love a lot of romantic comedies, but I mean, this one I was just, I just had a, was smiling the whole time, and I'm, I'm just I think of a scene like the. Um, man on the flying trapeze song that whole sequence yeah. on the bus yeah. you get this whole just like community sing-along where all these guys are like oh i want to i want to do the next person yeah you know yeah. And they're, everybody's just having a good time they don't know each other but it's just yeah. they're just sharing this ride and building <laughs> building community just on a on a bus it's, it's just wild well they didn't have cell phones to <laughs> bury their heads in so why not why not burst out in song yeah yeah when i have a band on the bus and <laughs> uh Quick trivia note, the th- guy that th- sings the third verse, he's like, can I jump in? And the guy with the dark hair, yeah, yeah. that is Frank Capra. Oh, uh, okay. His okay. own little cameo. He hitchcocked himself into it. Not so, a bad singer. Uh, no, he's not. No, I was going to say, um, we, we're watching um, Armageddon again, and I noticed Michael <laughs> Bay, and I pointed out to Heather there, and I'm like, there's yeah. Michael Bay. She's like, what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now do that to him, nice Shyamalan. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and this is and, and this is kind of like the OG Runaway Bride too, in some way. Yeah, like I was, yeah, she lives him right at the altar. Yeah, you love to see it. it you know, it, that's one of the things I've kind of become obsessed with when I mm-hmm. when I've been doing this because um, I'm going to say it again. I'll say it a thousand times. Probably its own drinking game, but I love seeing the starts of trends, um, like the where things like the inception of these things that you see now. Um, one thing I'm always on the lookout for is newspaper montages. Um, yeah. Cause I, I love a great montage and I love a good newspaper montage. And I was watching uh, a movie that is coming up later. I got down and I'm like, Oh, it's a newspaper montage. This might be the first one. Uh, and then I keep watching because I'm watching these all of order. I'll watch another movie earlier, and then there'll be a newspaper montage. I'm like, well, maybe that's the first one. <laughs> and I've seen everything from 1927 until now, and I don't think there's a newspaper montage. Maybe the corrections department will, um, will, will send me an email. But there's a newspaper montage in here, and it's pretty good. It's not that long, but um, there is a newspaper montage. Um, I did find out from another episode, I talk about it, but like the, the Soviets kind of invented or, or, or kind of really took off with the montage. And then in like, like years earlier, like in the teens, 19 teens, uh, and then it kind of picked up and then obviously it was used and there's probably some silent films with it. Uh, I just haven't, I haven't seen them, but they are making a great comeback in the thirties to this, these newspaper montages, cause there's plenty of them. Uh, and there's a newspaper montage here. Uh, I need to talk about it because those are things I'm looking out for. But also there's, you know, there's so much that's happening that, you know, like if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like there's so many things that people use 
uh, in present day, and obviously they have different flourishes and different special effects that they add to it and, and make it something different, but just the very basic stuff is here and it's, it works and it's, you know, even at its most basic level, you can watch this as a modern audience and still connect with it, still laugh, still yeah. understand things. You know what I mean? It's not like this foreign thing, you know? And that That's I very, think is the brilliance of Capra. Yeah, I think. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say that there's there's plenty of directors that you've never heard of that have these best picture winners, these best picture winning movies. Mm -hmm. But because of the, I mean, it's a wonderful life plays every year at Christmas, so that's that's one thing. But also, like Frank right. Capra, really knew how to endear himself to his audience, and you know what I call saccharine, and another person would call whatever, like the warm and fluffies, mm -hmm. like, you know, sit on the couch with a blanket. They love that warm, cozy feeling. And that's great. But there's something to be said about the the power of the director. And, you know, there's plenty of movies out there that have this same exact formula and blueprint, but they do not, you know, endear themselves to the audience that I feel like this film does. And so, you know, Frank Capra was kind of like that genius who, for whatever reason, and then he found himself the Frank Capra like avatar and Jimmy Stewart <laughs> and, and really kind of perfected, perfected that vision that he kind of starts here with Clark Gable. But, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I've seen other Frank Capra films and I want to see more. Um, like I haven't seen Smith goes to Washington. I haven't seen Mr. Deeds. Um, but I'm interested, I'm interested to see how he kind of does that in, in another genre. Cause mm -hmm. The ones that I've seen are kind of very like comedy um, right. genre. Um, so you, I, I'm interested to see what he does there. So I've, um, have you seen Arsenic in Old Lace? I have not seen Arsenic in Old Lace, no. Okay. Um, no. It's, it's entertaining. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's kind of cult comedy status on there. But um, see, I'm, I'm trying to remember. So I'm, yeah, I'm looking over his filmography and I kind of. Um, gotten the timing kind of wrong in my head about when some of these things came out because I know uh, from watching the Netflix docuseries five came back that he was one of those filmmakers from Hollywood that got sent over to um, World War two to, to film, you know, to make these kind of propaganda mm -hmm. films. And I know that changed him and like, there's sort of the pre-war Capra movies and there's the post-war Capra movies and mm -hmm. thinking about, I don't know this and some of the others I've seen like um, meet John Doe. I mean, they're pretty cynical in some ways, you know, like we're saying there, I mean, mm -hmm. it's Washington is too. And um, I mean, it makes me think that him going to war kind of brought out the corn, you know, kind of, kind of brought out the mm -hmm. saccharine thing. Cause he was just sort of like, Oh, well we got to hold on to this sweet way of life. You know, I was kind of looking at things wrong type of situation. Situation, even though well i think that yeah. the first movie he makes when he comes back from the war i think is it's a wonderful life mm. that might be the first one after the war um but even that is kind of i mean i mean what what's his jimmy stewart wants to throw himself up a bridge like it's it's yeah, you know yeah, there's yeah. there's an edge to it um in another episode, because I film these out of order, I list different things about people and directors that have come up. But in another episode, you can't take it with you. I go a little bit more in depth about Capra and, and his career and you know his life as an, an informant for the FBI during the Red Scare and um, his his buddy buddy with uh, old Hoover over there. Dude led a wild life. Um, 
but but he you know I can see how people would compare him to like Steven Spielberg and different things like that because mm-hmm. Spielberg is another person that comes to mind of of someone that kind of like kind of endears himself to his audience and has has that magical special feeling you get when you watch his movies um and you know Capra started it you know he did it you know kudos props or whatever you want to say like you know <laughs> dude dude had it you know he knew what he was doing yeah definitely a populist i mean even you know i give you crap about certain ron howard films but i mean that guy can make some <laughs> very entertaining populist films you know and um, it's true i mean bruce uh you know, my my former and hopefully future collaborator bruce Steele made a great comment when we were hosting the Pavarotti documentary that Ron Howard always wants to do the, the biggest thing possible. He's like, oh, you're going to do a space movie? Let's do the, the biggest disaster, you know, for space. You know, oh, you, yeah. you want to do documentaries? Okay, we're going to talk about the Beatles and Pavarotti. You know, we, you, you, right. you want to you make a movie about uh, Cave Rescue? Okay, we're going to do the most elaborate, complicated one of all time. So he's just like always <laughs> yeah. thinking yeah. huge. And I think... Mm-hmm. You, you want that in a filmmaker, um, you know, when, yeah. when it works. When it works, you know, maybe something like In the Heart of the Sea, which, you know, I love to call Moby Dick Origins. Maybe, you know, that, that's sort of like the first that, half works for yeah. seconds, you know, so there's there's certain... Oh, man, that whole movie, that, that might happen. be one of my... That's top three, Ron Howard, for me. I, <laughs> no, <laughs> I once, love that movie. Once, once they start getting hungry, um, I, I kind of lose interest, but... <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> it's not my way, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh yeah bones and all i think is kind of, was it a sequel <laughs> yeah yeah direct jump off <laughs> uh another thing that i really like about this is uh i love a i love a good curmudgeon and and God, clark gable is so grumpy in this movie uh and he's like really mad but like for no reason like he's really mad that she doesn't know how to dunk a donut uh, is telling her about that, but my favorite, my favorite part of the whole movie is when he picks her up to, to bring her across the little stream, and she's oh, yeah. like, "I'm running piggyback." And he's like, "This isn't piggyback," and she's like, "It is." And I've done piggyback. My dad did piggyback with me, and she's like, "He's like, this isn't piggyback." You're like losing his mind, and gets so mad at her because uh, she thinks that she's riding piggyback, and he's he's like, this is, "She's not riding piggyback," and he like so set in his ways and so grumpy about it. Uh, and I just, I truly aspire to be that grumpy about something so trivial. <laughs> I don't know if I'll spank yeah. somebody over it, but. <laughs> well, and then, and then it's kind of turned on its head in the hitchhiking scene because he's so confident that he's got it all right. figured out. He's got, he's got the perfect, you know, method down and then it just flops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does give up pretty good. He, he, he yields well. He doesn't, sure. and he is a little grumpy about it, but he. I think he just wanted the ride. <laughs> uh, also nominated this year, there's a bunch of movies nominated this year. But also nominated in the 1933-1934 year was The Barretts of Wimple Street, Cleopatra, Flirtation Walk, The Gay Divorcee, Here Comes the Navy, The House of Rothschild, Imitation Game, One Night of Love, the Thin Man, Viva Villa, and The White Parade. Have you heard of any of those movies? <laughs> so, I've, so, um, Imitation of Life. That that's, that's the other Colbert one I was mentioning that I like a lot. And then, yeah, the, the Thin Man, 
which is excellent. That's that, um, you know, the, the first Nick and Nora um, movie, you know, based on the Dashiell Hammett story with William Powell yeah. and Myrna yeah. Lloyd. That, that's a hoot. I mean, the first two Thin Man movies are really fun, and then they kind of get to be all the same. But uh, mm-hmm. have, I, have I heard of some of the? I've, <laughs> I mean, I've, 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 I've heard of the gay divorcee. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've heard of Cleopatra. The, the Barrett of Wimple Street sounds it's like a riot. I don't know what's going on there. Um, <laughs> I imagine, <laughs> like, madcap, zany. You know, just, just props for the name alone. Yeah, Frederick Marsh. Okay. Um, yeah, it seems like a lot. It seems like a lot of films. I mean, you know, obviously we would would eventually shrink shrink down to five a year, and then now back up to ten at most. But and yeah, relents and bring it back up. Yeah. Well, I mean, there it was the Wild West in the in the thirties, <laughs> man. They were still figuring it all out, but. Uh, it's it's always interesting as I always read off who the other nominations nominees were and I don't know maybe one of them will I have heard of I actually have heard of a couple of these ones um, and it's pretty weird because it's the earlier in the 30s whereas usually it's like I you know it's like these crazy names that you've never heard of um, but it also just kind of goes to show that even though because there's plenty of films that didn't win Best Picture that have kind of had this staying power but you know, even though we rag on the awards and, and sometimes question whether we should even watch awards or, or, you know, kind of enter into the debate of awards and all that, it really has helped some of these films stand the test of time and kind of bring in new audiences and new cinephiles and new film buffs. And, um, you know, if the gay divorcee had won, uh, we might be talking, you know, it might be, you know, something completely different. But this is, you know, I think the right one won this year. I don't think I have to watch the other ones to know that uh, this one probably nailed it. Definitely watch. There's other, definitely watch *Imitation of Life* and *The Thin Man*. I mean, they're. I mean, *Imitation of Life* honestly is. It hits. I mean, it it is a hard movie. It just like really, you know, rips the rips your heart out. And so, I mean, there's something to be said for that. But yeah, that like, I don't. I don't remember the filmmaking being quite as nimble as Capra's is here and you know something like that shot of Colbert walking through on her way to the shower you know that's like a pretty good tracking shot and you get to see a lot happening there that that felt pretty advanced and um, Mm -hmm. I think yeah these other films I would be surprised if they had the kind of technical um, advancements that that we're seeing and it happened one night yeah yeah and another thing I'll say is like I I'm really I'm really happy to see that this film didn't devolve into like a hijinks. I mean, they definitely get into hijinks, but it doesn't, it doesn't like, there's a lot of like madcap zany um, screwball comedies that were coming out these times. And even Capra did it, some screwball comedy, especially with, you can't take it with you, but this one, it doesn't, you know, it knows what it is and it, and it does it. You know what I mean? Like, even though it is, you know, like we were talking about populist film, it doesn't, sell itself short like it 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 committed to this idea of of these of this couple and it didn't you know it didn't try to do the money grab for the broad comedy and you know it it, it tried to do its own things something different and i don't know i just i really i really like that i think overall definitely my favorite capper that i've seen so far um and it's one of my favorite of this decade i don't think anything is quite going to pass all quiet on the western front uh as my favorite from the 30s um, I have a couple more to watch. I think two more to watch. Um, but yeah, this is this is a solid four star for me. Really enjoyed it overall. Overall, what about you? Um, 
Yeah, it's just just for, for ratings wise, is that kind of what? Yeah, or, yeah. Or, um, yeah, it's I I think I give it five out of five just because I think it's just so just powerful for its time and it's still so accessible and just um, you know not even really thinking about how influential it was, but just sort of, sort of just if you were just to watch it and not really know anything about the context or the history, it's just a really well-made, fun, touching film. You know, it's just, it just hits all those, mm. all those highs. And then it's, as we said, so, so well-made and crafted and performed. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I mean, this is, this is one of the all-time greats for me. I mean, this is way up there. This is my mm. favorite capper of the ones I've seen. I guess I've seen maybe like seven or eight total at this point, but, um, yeah, but yeah, to your point of the '30s, yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front. That's a banger. That's a tough. That's yeah, a tough movie. Yeah, that one. That one's rough, but it's great. That's why I was like, like, how did they? You know, that I haven't finished the Netflix new one, but I'm thinking, like, you know, mm -hmm. like they had the balls to make this again. <laughs> like they already, did yeah, it. they already, they already got it right. Like, why would you, you know, mess with that again? Oh, but the like, new, the like, Netflix one. I, I watched it. It uh, the first one's better. It, the original yeah. it. In my opinion, it doesn't even hold a candle. I mean, the the, the original or the remake that came out uh, in twenty twenty two on Netflix is good. Like, it definitely has yeah, some of the yeah. same ideas, and, and there's you know more more lights and and sound <laughs> that's that's there for it. But man, nothing beats that first one. But this isn't the all quiet, well, quiet on the Western Front podcast. Um, but we should do that. That's the spinoff. There you go. I think that. Like what you were saying is like just if you just watch this movie, you don't take it into account like the era and the time and and the what was going on, it still stands up. And then you add in mm -hmm. that when it came out and what the country was going going through, and and then you add that context to it, it just makes it even more richer. And um, you know, I used to rag a lot on Capra, but I, I'm not going to be able to anymore because <laughs> that man knew what he was doing. Uh, that's it. That's it for this week. Thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back soon with Aaron White from Feeling Film again. Uh, we're going to be talking about Mutiny on the Bounty, uh, another Clark Gable picture. If you want to watch that film and be ready for the next episode, you can find it currently on Amazon to rent for a few bucks. And then as of this recording, it's on HBO Max. So if you're subscribed to HBO Max, uh, Mutiny on the Bounty is that one. Uh, 1935 Clark Gable. There's a couple other ones. Um, don't watch those. You'll be uh, confused. You can find the show on Twitter at Winner Was Pod. You can find us on Facebook and the Winner Was Podcast. I'm on Letterboxd. Joel Winstead, find me over there. Email the show. Tell me what you think. Um, I'd like to respond to your stupid complaints. Winner Was Podcast at gmail.com is where you can do that. Edwin, where can we find you and your work? Um, head over to AshfulMovies.com. That's where you'll find the bulk of my reviews. And then, um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Edwin Arnauden. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll do my best to reply there. And, uh, yeah, always trying to scrape together a few pennies over at uh, patreon.com slash Jashville Movies. And there's plenty to do. We'll, we And in the future, we'll have uh, Jim Rosario on, who's also Excellent. going to be shelling... Uh, for the Patreon for Asheville, but you should definitely do it. A lot of great content. Uh, it's not, even if you're not an Asheville local, there's, there's plenty for you there. Hi, right, everyone. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this uh, bullshit. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, even though it's just me. <laughs>
Goodbye. I do that every time. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>